Right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Present Tense Podcast. We have, as promised, our special guest today, Laura. Uh, not my wife, Laura, that I talk about all the time, but uh, <laughs> my very good friend, Laura, um, who's a bit of a, a therapist. Well, I, I shouldn't explain what you do. I'll, 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 you explain <laughs> exactly what you do. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So with that, I have um, kind of the ability to do a lot of everything. So we get to do private practice. I get to do ER. I've done lock psych wards. I've done hospice. I've done the suicide hotline, like anything and everything that has to do with pretty much anything and everything we have the ability to do. Um, the only thing I haven't done yet is working with the police department, and hopefully that'll be next. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I went to undergrad at SDSU and then graduate school at USC, and I did my, um, I guess what would be considered, like, residency at mm. um, Harvard UCLA, which is a pediatric ER up wow. in Long Beach. So pediatrics was what my original goal was, and then yep. I did it. And then I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> strictly adults. And then the patient population in the ER is honestly mostly um, homeless drug addicts. Is usually yeah. kind of the common, you know, frequent flyers that we get on a regular basis. And yeah. then private practice is really a whole lot of everything. Right. Um, so. Yeah, I think, I think most people think of that. They think of the private practice where you come in and sit on the couch. Yeah, and so don't, yeah do the whole talk about things. Thing. But right. there's yeah. there's a much more extreme. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, intense action movie version of that, yeah. which is what <laughs> Laura <Yeah>. does. <laughs> Very much so. It's, it's, it is the, you know, the ER, because there I kind of do everything. It's not just psych. It's also, you know, we get somebody that's a CPR in progress or something, a code blue, then I deal with the families. The doctors usually will tell the families when someone passes, but they're not very good at it. Yeah. Our ER is so small that we only have one doc on at all times. So he has to go back and do the rest of everybody else so usually i kind of do the family stuff and the grief and bereavement if there's a rape case mm -hmm. usually the nurse isn't sitting there next to the patient they have three other patients to deal with so i'm there for that so kind of everything you don't want to deal with <laughs> usually what i get called in to deal with any of the child abuse adult yeah. abuse unfortunately we do see a lot of you know elder abuse and stuff like that but it's a little surprising i didn't think it happened as much as yeah. it does um, so yeah, a lot of that too. That's an incredible resume. Yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> uh, what made you get into this? Like what made you sit there and say, I am built for this? Because that's a pretty heavy, heavy load to deal with. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, when I think originally I really wanted to be an FBI agent, you know, the whole Claire East and Silas of the Lambs is probably the original like direction I wanted to go into and just kind of understanding like why people do the things they do, like mm -hmm. just human behavior. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily grow up in a conventional household, um, to say the least. I was kind of raised by different family relatives and, you know, understanding kind of people's like why people do what they do has always kind of been like yeah. the most interesting thing for me mm -hmm. um i guess with the fbi i didn't realize you my parents are not citizens of this country and i think you need to have at least one parent that's a citizen or, oh, or I, mean, I had no idea yeah okay i know my brother's trying to join the cia after the marines and they said the same thing you have to have at least one parent that was like either a national born hmm. or at least a citizen and okay they also, you know, we don't have either. So. Yeah. So. Well, hopefully yeah. there's a way around that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We'll see. But yeah. yeah um, and so, and then, so I really wanted to do psychology and like 
into like a PhD program, but then there's a lot more. It's great for research. There's a lot of you know assessments and other things you could do, but with social work, it's kind of like I said, it's it's a little bit of everything, and there's mm-hmm. just so much more. You know, if I wanted to do schools, I could work at schools. If I wanted to do you know kids or infant labor delivery, like there's a social worker kind of for everything. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like a better fit for me because I like a little bit of everything. Sure. I don't want just one thing on a day-to-day it's nice to have change i guess i could just get bored really easily so Mm -hmm. psych seems to be the most entertaining (laughs) chaos yeah yeah Yeah. exactly and as you said being curious why people do what they do i noticed that was something i was really looking back i was really always interested that at Mm -hmm. a really young age Mm -hmm. and trying to like figure that out like oh why did that person do that that was kind of always like a really like my biggest curiosity did you have that as a a young person yeah definitely one of those like so if I act like this with this person then I get this if Mm -hmm. I'm this way with this person then they think I'm funny and I get this cupcake you know just like even as a kid just trying to figure out like and kids do it all the time they go to dad for this and mom Mm -hmm. for this and they know how to play their you know parents and they know how to like not necessarily manipulate because that has a negative connotation but just you know knowing you know, how to work with people and just human interaction. It's just some of it is just basic skills that we all have as a community. And then mm-hmm. some of it's also like, yeah, a, a higher curiosity that's like, okay, but then what happens? Then if I do this, what'll happen? Or, you know, right. wanting to understand people. So was this just something that you felt was instilled <coughs> in you? Or did this was this something that you had to kind of grow into? Yeah, I think it was, I knew really early on that this was going to be my jam. Like the you know human behavior psych or anything that has to do with like people mm-hmm. like i wasn't really ever uh like numbers and science wasn't really yep. i didn't care as much i wanted yep. to i cared more i'm more of my, you know there's micro and macro where it's like everything around you or what's right in front of you i was always kind of what's right in front of me mm-hmm. kind of a person so yeah i think i would always kind of knew that that was my jam that's really cool because i think yeah. i had that too but i was so like focused on you know, the black and white and the, yeah, the numbers yeah, part too. I never really exactly. explored that until you know I got older. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's something to be more and more into. That's really cool. You you yeah. were able to do that from. I think so too. Like there's a like um, at least for me, you know, I have five brothers. I'm the second oldest, so there's that like maternity sort of vibe of like wanting to take care of something, but also not wanting to be like. I don't necessarily like. I didn't want to be a nurse because I didn't really like blood and stuff like like I deal with it in the mm-hmm. ER but it's also not what I'm going in to deal right. with it just mm-hmm. happens to be a byproduct of working the ER so nursing wasn't really my jam and then or didn't seem like that would work and then I definitely didn't want you, you know doctors and all that stuff that just sounded like a lot of work and mm-hmm. I was like well that doesn't sound good so you know kind of deductive reasoning was like oh this seems like the the next best thing is just behavior just humans just you know kind of on a one-to-one basis and you know sometimes there's you know, mass, casual, mass casualties in the ER, but usually it's, yeah. I'm not having to deal with 10, 20 people, like a classroom, it's usually right. like on a one-on-one basis, yeah. which is, which I like better. I think <laughs> we talked about that too, like having a large group, yeah. like a party gathering or like a more intimate <laughs> one, like just mm-hmm. do better in an intimate setting than, than this huge, yeah, like party or but when Laura and I are both at big uh, big gatherings, we kind of just find a little like corner, corner to ourselves yeah, and hang out. Yeah, just sit and talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're rich in That's security the best. You're just away from it all. Yeah. And you get to really focus and hone in on that yeah. that one person, that one interaction. Exactly. I think that's that's important. And people watching, it's, it is really interesting to see, you know, just how like people are and how they interact with each other and mm-hmm. and stuff. 
So how much schooling was that? But just just I'm curious. Um, so undergrad was four years, and the graduate school was two, and yeah. then the clinicals were another two, okay. and then you have to get licensed through the state. So there's like an exam and all okay. that. So so it's like the board of behavioral sciences. You have to yeah. go through the the board process, okay. and then so not too bad. I mean, yeah. two years less than a PhD, okay. but. Those two years sounded like a lot. Right. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, to me, like just anything after high school sounded like a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Why I didn't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. With your clinicals, did you have like a mentor kind of there yeah. to guide you, or yeah. were you just so you weren't just thrown into the fire? No, you're okay. not really. I mean, I had my own caseload mm-hmm. of people, but they were vetted out, and you know, I had somebody that I could go to to um, talk about each case and, and, and stuff like that. But with social work. You know, for that reason, they kind of do throw you in a little bit because mm-hmm. you are, yeah, like in graduate school and you have like a caseload depending on what you're doing. Like they don't throw you into the ER setting kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. usually like a slower pace. Okay. Um, yeah. So. so we talk a lot on our show about behavior, right? Why, like you said, it all boils down to we all have a reason for doing mm-hmm. the things that we do. We're acting the way that we do. There's always a reason. doesn't mm-hmm. excuse our shitty behavior, mm-hmm. but... There, there's always a reason. But we're kind of just talking about that on like really small micro levels. Mm-hmm. Really, you see like the big, you know, macro expression of that. But I still think even in those extreme examples, there's a little point of reference in all of us where we yeah. see how that, that starts and how that gets out of hand. So yeah. what are some like the big, and we kind of talk about it more from like, you know, the, the spiritual aspect, consciousness, mm-hmm. being aware of our actions, being aware of ourself. But what are some of the big, from a, from a clinical aspect, mm-hmm. what are some of the big, like, mental, I don't know what you call them, glitches or mm-hmm. hang-ups and stuff that, that you see that we kind of just, like, as, you know, normal life, we only notice on, like, the, the micro level. What, mm-hmm. what are some of the big, like, things, things that you notice? So, like, in ter- I guess I'm trying to, th- so, like, in terms of, like, drug addiction, like, the people that take it too far, like, they go from, you know... Just doing it for fun to becoming addicted to it? Or yeah, like what, you... what, what, what might cause someone to, to take it that far? You yeah. Know, so I suppose someone who just experiments or was just out one night to take that. Yeah, it really depends. I mean, that one's kind of, at least if we're going to specific to this, it's a little hard because some of the drugs are just that shitty. Like meth and yeah. heroin are just that addictive that I think even if somebody, regardless of how strong they're, like, you know, like their personal beliefs are, like it mm-hmm. could, like I could see, like, that like come down being so bad that they want to continue on. Like yeah. it is just, they're both just so highly addictive mm-hmm. that it can just, I wouldn't even want to risk, you sure, know, right. anybody yeah. even trying that. Do you well, see like there's, is there an addictive like personality type or an addictive gene or is it just? Yeah, I think it's really a lot about the time and place. Like I think there is a perfect storm that happens with some people that they're probably just partying and having a good time and then something bad happens and then they realize they feel good on a bad day when they drink alcohol okay. or it feels good on a bad day to go, you know, party and do drugs and stuff like that. And then that becomes the thing. So yeah. my number one rule is I never drink when I'm sad and I never drink alone. <laughs> so mm-hmm. those are, or, or anything for that matter, yeah. any extracurricular activities, if you want to call them. Okay. But like, that's kind of the biggest thing. And I think a lot of people kind of normalize it and make it okay and then that's where it becomes a slippery slope mm-hmm. so there are certain parts and it's fine you know a lot of people have like a glass of wine after dinner and such but then it just to me it can get really it, you could slip pretty easily to more than just one. Oh, i had a really bad day so i deserve to sure. it's like okay or you could deserve to take a bath or you could deserve right. you know to go for a run or you know there's other self-care than just you know drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. the other the 
patients that I see, again, in the emergency room most of the time, I mean, these are people, it's, it's hardly ever someone who's, I just got addicted last year. It's usually right. the 20-year veteran, that, and not veteran as in like military veteran, <laughs> right. but mm-hmm. drug addict yeah. veteran that comes in, you know, often enough that I see on a regular, and there's just, you know, we admit him to the psych unit or drug rehab or whatever, you know, we, it is kind of a little bit disheartening because you do everything you're supposed to do, at least on my side, and then you still see the patient come back and clearly they kind of, you know, either failed out of the program or failed out of the rehab or whatever. And it's always hard, but the thing too, it's, we get a lot of people like with family members, like, oh, like I really want my dad to stop drinking and like talk to him and tell him something. Listen, if your dad isn't gonna stop drinking when you ask him to, Mm I don't think this random little girl that's going to come up to you in the ER in a white coat is going to all of a sudden change its mind. Sure. So sometimes that's the other thing with families. It's great when families bring them to the emergency room to try to get that help. But the problem is, is that if they don't want it, mm-hmm. there really isn't anything anybody can do. You can't yeah. force somebody. I could put someone on a 5150, which is the 72-hour psychiatric hold that we have in the state of California. But it's danger to self, danger to others, or grave disability. So danger to self is actively suicidal with a plan and intent. Drinking yourself to death, as much as drinking alcohol can kill you and will kill you if you're addicted and you stop cold turkey or you know your liver failure, it'll take long enough right. that it doesn't constitute as killing you know a sure. suicidal plan. Right. At least in this state. Yeah. Unless <laughs> so, you're mixing. Correct. Yeah, yeah. If you tell me I'm going to take a bunch of, you know, like lorazepam or Ativan and drink alcohol, like a benzos plus alcohol, sure, 100% I would, you know, that Mm -hmm. that's a viable plan. But drinking yourself to death, it is something that will happen. Mm -hmm. But the timeline of it is kind of, you know, an important part of me taking away your rights and locking you in a psych ward. So you have to have, you know really good reason to do that <laughs> to somebody you know so that's kind of and, it, and it's hard trying to explain that to the family because i know they're scared and they're sure. worried but when the person themselves are like i don't care mm-hmm. well then i mean i, I can't mm-hmm. yeah like if you don't then I'm, my hands are kind of tied yeah. so it kind of makes it a little a little hard so in your expertise would you how deep, how in depth do you go? Do you feel that that's an internal dilemma or trauma that they have to, you have to break down to get to the root of, to discover why they are drinking or doing mm-hmm. these drugs? What got them to this point? Is that, if it's, is it, are you on a level where you break that down or? In the emergency room, no, right? It's okay. all just like yep. triage. It's all just like, let's mm-hmm. just get you. To yep. be okay for a hot, you know, for now. Okay. Move on. So in the emergency room, I don't necessarily get that. In the private practice, I do. But mind you, the private practice, you're able to function enough mm-hmm. to come in on a weekly basis for us to figure it out. In the ER, <coughs> with some of my guys, it's a little harder because are you the way you are because of the 20 years of drug and alcohol mm-hmm. use? Or, you know, so there is a component of, I'm sure, some childhood trauma or something that happened, mm-hmm. um, whether childhood or in your adulthood. But I can't, we can't even get there until we stop the alcohol. But if I can't get there to stop the alcohol, then you're just going to keep drinking. So there is a bit of a cycle that makes it hard that you just kind of have to go in at some point to try to like, get to the root cause and then but if you start at the roots but you're not 
you're still drinking and stuff, then mm-hmm. that doesn't mm-hmm. really help either. I can't yeah. do therapy with somebody who's indisposed, yeah. you know, high or mm-hmm. drunk or something. It's a little harder to, to do that. So, Are there any methods or things that you've found that have worked? And probably you know, not in the ER, of course, because mm-hmm. you're just in triage, but for mm-hmm. more your private practice, regular patients, that works as far as being able to break down those behaviors and get someone to actually change their mind mm-hmm. about it does, themselves? It, it really depends, and that's kind of the, what I like about the job. There really isn't a formulaic way of doing it. Yeah. So for you, it might work if I, you know, as I get to know you, I, I'll know what your motivations are, mm-hmm. and then I can kind of use that based on, like, the different therapy that we have available, like CB, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, that kind of stuff. But it's really is individualized kind of plan. There's not sure. really a way to just like, this works across the board, best of luck. The 12-step program, it works for a lot of people. I personally hate, don't like it very much. Yeah. Um, there's smart recovery. There's other ways of like programs for recovery. Smart recovery is another really good one. But, you know, all you most people talk about is, AA and that kind of stuff. Right. So there are other ways, but it really is individualized. And I think that's where we kind of get stuck as a society is this worked for five people. It's going to work mm-hmm. for everybody. And then we just do, do that catch all. Yeah. Everybody fits in this box. Right. And it doesn't really work that way. And right. I think that's the hardest thing as a whole that we have trouble with. I think we want people to fit in boxes. Sure. I think we want it to be A plus B equals C at all times. And it doesn't. And yeah. then people are like, oh, well, the system's failed. It's like, okay, well, hold on. It's not that it's failing. It's, it works for these other people, but maybe we need other choices because not everybody fits this particular box, right. if that makes Why sense. do you think we do that as a society? I mean, I, I ask this, I wonder this all the time. We, we all want, and we talk about it. We all try to fit into these boxes, like you say. And if you don't fit in this box, you're weird or you're different yeah. or you don't yeah. like fit in. And why do we do that? I think it's a fear. I think we want to rationalize things. And so by doing that, we need to categorize things and put a label on things. I think the biggest thing I've seen it with is um, like the school shootings. Mm-hmm. Like that's a big one. Like, oh, well, he must have had this or he sure. must have done that or he must have be this type of person. And I mean, they're not around. We're not going to be able to ask that question. Right. Mm-hmm. But I can understand, you know, I'm not a parent, but if I, you know, I can understand how some parents need to have some answer. We need to have an answer. Something has to make sense. I mm-hmm. don't understand. So let's imagine this is who this type of person that they are. They can't just be evil or bad. You know, things have to make sense. They have to be rationalized. And so Mm -hmm. we have to find a reason to explain behavior that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what it is. I think it comes from a fear response more than it does anything else. Yeah, I think we do that on the, you know, the smaller level too, with things like, oh, someone we don't like or we don't get along with, we kind of make up a story about them or put them yeah. in specific yeah. boxes uh-huh. to, oh, this is why I don't like this person. Mm-hmm. This is what's yeah. wrong with them. You know, yeah. we've got them figured out mm-hmm. because, oh, we saw this before. We saw this in a movie and we're, we're trying to figure out that that box and not letting us all just be individuals. We're trying to understand right. where that person's coming from yeah. and what they're yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of psych, right? I mean, we have the diagnostic statistic manual to like put people in the categories. But if you really like that whole manual the whole diagnosis manual is pretty much it's all human behavior to the extreme that's what most personalities Mm -hmm. disorders are and so 
you know, even with like all the other diagnosis, it's kind of, it just seems like not everybody who's crazy is bad. And that's the part I don't right. like is when like, oh, well, he must be crazy. He shot up a school. Okay, well, hold on. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we kind of, society tends to use crazy synonymously with the schizophrenic that's homeless, with the mm -hmm. drug addict, and with the guys shooting up schools. Like, to be fair, those are three very different people. Yeah. On, on a good day, just regularly, right. but especially in those three categories, yet mm -hmm. they all get jumbled together as quote-unquote crazy. Right. And that really kind of bothers me, and I, I don't know if it's like my own like personal vendetta, but it just isn't fair to the schizophrenic who's trying to take his medications and has a wife and kids and is doing his, you know, what he needs to do as yeah. a good person in society, whatever the definition of good person you want to have. <laughs> but, you know, and then the other person who's struggling, who's on the streets, then there's a drug addict who's struggling or the one who's doing, you know what I mean? Like sure. there's different categories, but I feel like once you say crazy, everyone just gets lumped into one and right. it's like a negative, yeah, yeah, it's like a bad thing. Like, oh, you know, they're not, to me, they're not synonymous, yeah, with the, the school shooter or with the serial killer or... You know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, we, we kind of just that label on anything we don't understand. Right, right? yeah. It's just, like, it's just our, our ex, <laughs> yeah. the relationship didn't work out. Oh, she's crazy. Yeah, she's crazy. You know, yeah, like, exactly. we, we just, that's just an easy label that we yeah. throw out. Again, I think like you said it really well. Like we just, we want to, our, we want our brains to have a place to rest mm -hmm. with something. Mm -hmm. And that's just the simplest, easiest explanation yeah. that we can find. But it's, exactly. really, but it's really lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it is. And it doesn't really... I think it doesn't leave a lot of room to try to mm -hmm. understand. And again, I'm not saying you have to try to understand the serial killer or anything like that. That's not your job. That's mine. But at the same time, I don't think it's fair, yeah, to just um, stereotype, I guess. Yeah. But more. at the same time, like, I do think it is all of our jobs Absolutely. to understand. You know, because mm -hmm. if we're, if we're going to be, you know, if we're really going to be together and we're really going right. to create change, like if that person doesn't feel understood or doesn't feel like anyone's trying to understand them, yeah. I think that's, that's the cause of a lot of our... Our issues. Right. I mean, I, I know I do that for myself. Like I make up this story in my head sometimes of, oh, no one understands me, yeah. and I get <laughs> quiet and depressed, and I don't talk to anybody, and right. I'm withdrawn, and you know, it takes a little while, and, and I have you know lots of really loving people around me that mm -hmm. actually do, and I still mm -hmm. make up that story. Mm -hmm. You know, so how much easier is it for someone who's really isolated or really struggling with something to to feel that way? Yeah, you know? I do think it's fair though to also you know the kind of the counter argument is it's hard to be on all the time though. Sure. Like you know, it's hard. to, Can yeah. you imagine just going? through your day kind of walking on eggshells with every single person you ever meet like that gets sure. exhausting yeah. after I mean even I can't do that yeah. and again it's mm -hmm. I know like this is what I my yeah. career and even on my off days it's still you know you still kind of snap at the cashier you still kind of get annoyed when the store doesn't yep. have you know what you want yep. or you know just that we talk about that all the time like, yeah. yeah we do yeah. In, 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 touching yourself in an isolated, yeah. isolated yeah. moment I yep. think I'm a really nice person but in an isolated moment yeah, this I interaction I have with a person they, exactly. they, they're, they're positive I'm an asshole yeah. Like, yeah. yeah exactly yeah and we all have that so it's it, to be fair it's also cutting yourself some slack if you don't mm -hmm. understand or you're not able to you know that's okay too True. I think the biggest issue is knowing that if I'm having and I don't think a lot of people take the time to really know themselves especially this day and age it's nobody wants to be alone with themselves right. it's you know they don't it's either social media or it's going out or it's friends which is great we want you to have that outlet yeah. but at the same time like you have to also like yourself when you're alone you mm -hmm. can't just go 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 so that right. you don't have to think you know that yeah. doesn't really work 
yeah. either in the long run. Yeah. So if you have that insight of like, man, I was a real bitch today <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> I know that I'm not going to go out because I'm not in that mood. But if right. you don't know where you're at, if sure. you don't know how you feel and you're snapping at people left and right, but you don't recognize that something's off today with you or whatever, then yeah, you're just, you're just going to keep doing just gonna that. Just going to numb it out. And yeah. Keep going. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the most important things I ever learned or one of the most important teachings I ever found was if you know someone we don't understand or mm-hmm. does crazy things, mm-hmm. quote crazy things, uh, is to imagine if if I had that person's exact experience in life, mm-hmm. you know, second for second, how different from them would I be? Mm-hmm. And the answer is probably very little, if mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. You know, so it does, again, it doesn't excuse the the awful things we do to each other, but right. it does provide at least myself with a, be able to have some empathy and some understanding. Yeah. Like there there is a reason why that. Why that happened, or yeah. why that person acts this way, or yeah. or does this thing? Because uh, we're all just you know products of our experiences, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, our environment and the people around us for sure. Yeah. And I think I, I tell Matt all the time, and I talk about it on a pod all the time, where I I refer a lot to our childhood, where I feel mm. like that really is where it starts, um, because. If we don't have that sense of community, if we don't have that sense of feeling okay to talk to our peers, if we're made fun of, mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be, then you just, you kind of, you grow into that mm-hmm. individualized um, sense mm-hmm. of self. And um, I know you said that some people gain it as an adult mm-hmm. as well. So I'm just interested how that differs like how do people develop this in adulthood yeah it they did a lot of twin studies where they took somebody who you know well twins that and they like one said it one twin like lost their wife and their two kids in a car mm-hmm. accident but they survived and then the other twin didn't he still had his wife and his kids so this one became an alcoholic and then ended up doing harder drugs and stuff so there are like you know situations like that where mm-hmm. Um, they might have a predisposition to alcoholism just genetically, but one person had, you know, a significant loss or a significant, you know, situation that caused that kind of response of like, okay, well, I'm going to drink. I don't know anybody that wouldn't in that situation. I think it'd be really tough for a lot of people to not want to do that with such a significant loss. And then it just kind of, you know, spirals out from there. And motivation is huge when you don't have anybody, um, Okay. When you don't have anybody like to keep going for any reason to like, that's kind of a really big, a big thing too, is kind of what motivates you. I was curious because you mentioned the people that come into the ER, right? They're bringing their, their loved one in and want it to be fixed in a moment, but that person has no desire. Right. Um, I'm just guessing in, even in your, your private practice where you see people more on a regular basis for the people that you have been able to help and change some of their behavior, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess there at least has to be a little bit of willingness of wanting to on their part, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they, you definitely have to have a little bit of insight to know, like, okay, something isn't working. Yeah. I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I need to change? And, you know, a lot of times people, well, if I'm not happy, then it must be you, the person sure. that's around me, or it must be my job, or it must be. But sometimes it is, you know, internal. Um to go back to what you mentioned about childhood stuff, I think the thing too that changed in our society is everything's really, like I truly believe it takes a village. And I think, you know, having the aunties and the uncles and the grandparents and the generational, you know, family members and, 
the neighbors and all that like it really does I think make a big difference in raising a kid one parent one mom to raise a kid that doesn't I don't you're not really getting the, the kids aren't getting that different way of looking at life all you're getting is your well, how your mom looks at it how your dad looks at it which by the way might not be the right way <laughs> right where if you have like you know a family like aunties uncles neighbors you know if you have a village of people then you see oh okay well dad handled it like this I really didn't like the way he handled it but mm-hmm. uncle so-and-so handled it like this and I kind of like that better yeah you know so you're able like as kids you're kind of able to see how other people handle things like oh I really didn't like that or oh yeah. I like that and you know that's how kids get personalities and grow into the person that they become but if they only see how one person deals with it and this one person that deals with it only drinks <laughs> then it's really hard sure. I think for a child to understand as they get older that there is another way mm-hmm. so COVID, I feel like, definitely kind of made that tough on a lot of parents because it yeah. went from, you know, each other helping each other to, like, now you're sequestered in your house for two years with your kids and they only see how so-and-so, you mm-hmm. know, how mom handles a dad or whoever their primary yeah. caregiver is. So I kind of, in that sense, I do feel like the way, I guess not the answer, but it, w- it would be helpful to have, you know, a larger community to help raise kids in that sense, so that they do they do see other options sure. and how to how to handle stuff. I think that's really. I like important. that. I didn't think about it from that angle of just seeing everything from other eyes, other mm-hmm. vantage points. That yeah. that is very important. I feel like I think I was listening to something a while back and. He, use the illustration of imagine like you were raised by these two you know alien creatures <laughs> and you learned that if you made a certain noise it made them mm-hmm. laugh and made them happy if you made another certain noise it made them unhappy yeah and yeah. then after 18 years of that you were just put out into the world and you're making the noise that made these two people happy but other people are staring at you like yeah what, what are you doing yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're not getting attention you're not getting praise you're not getting right. love for making this noise or doing this yeah. thing it's just you know how do how do we? Deal yeah, with then that? you so, feel yeah. like something's wrong. <laughs> right. There's something wrong What's with wrong you. With me? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Where yeah, if there was you know ten people that you were raised by or around, you know, it would mm-hmm. give you different. You would just have more clicks and sounds that you'd be able to try. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, than rather than just the two. Or to be training yeah. your brain, like, oh, I can try different things right. and see how that works best, right. or see what I like best. Yeah. You know, or like, of these ten people, like, okay, well, eight like me. And two don't, well, okay, well, I have these eight. Where if you have two, I mean, if one doesn't like you, you're kind of screwed. Like, here's mm-hmm. the, you know, short, kind of yeah. shit out of luck if you right. only got the one. So that's also kind of another thing, too, is being okay with people not liking you. Right. But, yeah, if you only have two people that you're stuck with, then kind of makes it a little tough. Yeah. Uh, I brought up the one thing, too, but you, know, you mentioned, like, having to have the willingness or at least some sort of awareness of I'm not happy or this isn't working well mm-hmm. for my life. Because I think as individuals, we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we see someone who's not doing well, mm-hmm. or someone that we love that's struggling with something, or maybe it ends in, in the worst possible way. Right. They, they lose their life. Right. We all kind of put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Like, oh, I could have done something different. Mm-hmm. I should have done this. I should have done that. But here we have an absolute well-educated expert. Right. Who's saying that unless the person's willing, yeah, nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah, there really isn't, and it is hard to not get in that mindset of, yeah, I, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, in that stuff. But it's unfortunate because you're sort of 
it's hard not to think about ourselves, right, in any oh, in yeah. any situation. So in that sense, but you, you kind of, you know, especially if it's suicide or something, you get to for a little bit, but you got to kind of crawl out of that mindset pretty quickly. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't stay there for very long. Yeah. You're allowed to feel bad. You're allowed to think things over and, like, learn from the experience and, like, oh, well, he did this, this, and this. In those signs, from here on out, I will always be aware right. of this, this, and this if I see it in anyone else, for example. Yeah. So that's okay, but you don't really get, like, you really shouldn't get too hard on, yeah, blaming yourself. Because especially when it comes to, you know, drugs and alcohol, there really does have to, there has to be some motivation to yeah. want it on, on behalf of the person themselves. Right. Um, you can lock them up in a room as soon as they leave, you know. Right. You can't control that anymore. So you can, yeah, you can only control the environment as much as you can before that person needs is going to make their decision they make regardless. Sure. We actually yeah. just talked about that last week, about how initially we give ourselves, or we're allowed to give ourselves mm-hmm. that moment to, to be sad, mm-hmm. to be upset, to be mad, mm-hmm. to be, you know, go through the ringer of all feelings. Um why is it our go-to though like why is it just like what could i have done like why i feel like for most of us that is the Mm -hmm. instant thought that we that we form when something tragic happens yeah i think it's just to it's to give ourselves more control i mean nobody wants to feel out of control in their life you Mm -hmm. know and i think with people around us it, it does it's just a safety precaution to be fair i think it's great and I know that sounds really weird that we do think that sure. because it's like, you know, you care so much that mm-hmm. you immediately look to what could I have done? I care about this mm-hmm. person so much. I love this person so much. If that didn't ever cross your mind, I'd be a little concerned. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, how much do you really care about? You know, how much? Because yeah. like that's not, you know, that the initial response is a normal response of what could I have done? And you get to do that. Yeah. Like I said, you just can't be stuck there. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just have that on on repeat all the time. But I do think it's a matter of control when we lose somebody unexpectedly. It is, that's, it's, we have to rationalize it and we have mm-hmm. to kind of feel that control back. Well, if I could have done A, B, and C, then maybe things would have been different. Sure. I mean, it, in a day-to-day, the butterfly effect, right? Something, mm-hmm. anything could have changed, maybe would have been different. But do we know that for sure? No. So you kind of have to understand that side of it, too. If you want to believe that there's a chance that you could have done something to change it, sure, but you also have to believe in the chance that it also would have done absolutely nothing or harmed you more instead or, you know, we have Mm. no no idea how it would have turned out. But I think it's it's something to be, you know, not necessarily proud of, but I do think it's it's a good thing for somebody to care that much Mm -hmm. that they think, man, what could I have done? Mm but again, we just can't get stuck there. Right. Yep. So. Yeah. So what I, what I hear you say a lot is, like the initial feeling, whatever, is always allowed. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. just it's just don't sit in that pile of shit for too long. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. But whatever it is, because that's what leads to the the bigger problems when we we feel what we're feeling instead of dealing with it whatever way, we just stay there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, what are some positive things you encourage your clients and people to do to? Um, get rid of that yeah I think you know it's it really is whatever works for you if it's gardening great if it's exercising I mean pretty much anything that's not drug or alcohol related (laughs) I'd say go for it 
yeah. you know, and, and, and not harmful to someone else. I mean, if you enjoy, like, punching things and go to a boxing class, don't, you know, sure. do the thing with the kids <laughs> or what have, what have you. So, yeah, just anything along the – I mean, exercise is huge. If you, you know, 30 minutes at least – you know, three times a week, I think, would be plenty. Depends, obviously, like, I'm not a medical professional. But I do think self-care is really important. And sometimes self-care is just staring at the wall for right. 30 minutes. It doesn't yeah. always have to be something that's, like, this huge, elaborate hobby that, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Not everything has to be productive. Right. Sometimes it's okay to just not do anything. <laughs> 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 if you need to watch the Brain Candy TV for a little while, that's fine. Right. If you need... You know, to take a bath or, you know, just do something that doesn't result in some crazy awesome hobby or I was able to like weave this carpet. Like it doesn't have to have, yeah, it doesn't have to be like productive. Because then it just becomes a distraction, not a... Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, exactly. Then then we're kind of losing. Then a lot of times I've even noticed people who used to love doing like art or something, Mm -hmm. they just kind of become more... Like how they are in their daily life where everything always has to be a certain way, then it just like melts into the hobbies and the hobbies don't become hobbies anymore. I have to finish this. I have to get this done. I have to, it didn't look perfect. So I threw it away and start over and it's like, well, that's defeats the the purpose. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Same symptom. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of defeated the purpose of doing it in the first place. So if you know you're the type of person that's a little, you know, type A personality and really like everything has to be perfect, then maybe art's not your jam. Maybe don't, you know, maybe do something else that, you know, you can't like plant, like, you know, gardening, like how it's a plant, like how perfect could you possibly plant a plant, you know, Mm -hmm. or something like that. Like, you know, you just kind of have to find, you know, other things and maybe it's just journaling or maybe it's, um, I know journaling's a big one. Um... There's plenty of like hotlines that you can call. Some of it's volunteering. Most of the suicide hotlines are all master's degree and above yeah. therapists. So, you know, yeah. there's that. Not It doesn't have to just be for suicide. It can be because you just had a really shit day sure. and <laughs> you're a single mom with three kids and have yeah. no one else to talk to. Like, that's okay, too. Does that help, like, talking to someone that is a total outside third party kind of thing sometimes plus so much you know? Yeah, I get that a lot. I, a lot of people, um, I personally think everyone would benefit from a therapist. I mean, yeah. who wouldn't benefit from dumping with somebody that you're you're only going to see when you want to see? Mm-hmm. You don't have any risk of it coming back to bite you in the ass, <laughs> right? It's somebody who's not going to judge you. You get to feel the way you feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems like it's the safest way. It's the safest way to contain, yeah. right? The reason why we're people, even people who've been through significant trauma can function really well is because they can compartmentalize. So you, people are able to put this traumatic, horrible event and they're able to kind of put it in a box. The issue, though, is sometimes people are so good at locking it in a box that they don't ever really deal with it, and then it comes out other ways. Sure. But if you can put it in a box when you need to and then take it out at therapy, for example, and then put mm-hmm. it back in the box, I mean, then that's kind of the best best case scenario would be yeah. to do that. Um, but to be able to, yeah, just kind of dump, and that's what I tell my clients, at least in the private practice, is, most you know most of them are adolescents but i tell them you know it's like a backpack full of these really really heavy books and i have a massive bookcase of like beauty and the beast <laughs> library right like this huge library so we can't take out all of your books today but at least we maybe we could do the heaviest one okay. and then when you lift up the put the backpack back on it's just a little bit lighter and sometimes people are carrying around this such a heavy backpack 
that they don't realize how heavy it is until they take it off and they have to put it back on again. And then sure. they're like, oh, shit. So <laughs> yeah, usually it's like, okay, I will see you again next week. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm, I will happily store the books and I know right. how to deal with it. I know where to put them where you never have to deal with it again. And it goes in my little library. Yeah. So, so for you, even though those aren't your books mm-hmm. and you don't know those people, you are still taking on that kind of energy from right. people all day long. Like that yeah. is that is your job. And yes. I think all of us that do that with a loved one, even just a little bit, yeah. an hour a week, like we feel like, whew, that's yeah. heavy. So what are some practices or things you do for yourself to be able to deal with that? Yeah, I do know a lot of therapists, you know, tend to, it does help because we have each other, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always, you know, therapists and therapists. So we always get to kind of talk to each other and process things with each other. If it is, you know, a significant case or something, we're certainly not talking bad about our clients. (laughs) But if it's something, you know, it's hard not to react. If you hear a story from somebody's childhood, you know, you you grow to care about that person. That's what happens in therapy. It's really hard not to want to react or be angry on their behalf. Mm -hmm. So with that, you know, usually it does help to talk to each other, you know, other therapists or other people in the field. The ER is really nice in that sense because we do, there's always a team. So we okay. always kind of go through it together. Yeah. When it's one-to-one therapy, then then that one's different. Like we have to make time for it. So a lot yeah. of the other therapists will get together and we'll kind of talk as needed. Um, personally, like I really enjoy running. That's always kind of been my thing. Um, I mean, I have cats. So I think pet <laughs> therapy is, a, you know, really, yeah. really important. I do think that makes, yeah, a big difference for a lot of people. Um, you know, planting. I love being around my friends and their babies, you yep. know, that's always helpful. So you really do just find, you know, what makes you smile and you kind of appreciate it a little bit more, I think, after a bad day than you would on a, a regular sure. day. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, too, we forget as society. Like, bad things suck, of course. I would never wish that upon anybody. But if you don't have a little bit of bad, how do you know when it's ever good? Sure. You know, so it's kind of... I guess an easier way to rationalize yeah. sometimes. No doubt. And I feel like the bad, there's this thing that we do where we don't want to really acknowledge the bad. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's just instead of, like you said, just sitting there staring at the wall and feeling mm-hmm. it yeah. for 30 minutes, we, yeah. want to, we want to numb that out. We want to do something to distract ourselves mm-hmm. or you know, whatever it is. And I feel like that's always what creates the bigger problem is when we don't just feel what we're feeling. Right. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. I mean, even for you as as the therapist, like you're you're getting yeah, all this yeah. <laughs> input yeah. all day long, and it's gonna make you feel a certain way. Like, you know, to your clients, you might be a, a just a, a nice neutral sounding board, but right. I know you. I yeah, know you're, I, know. Yeah. I know you're a caring, loving, empathetic yeah. person. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it just. Yeah, I think it's really important to be aware of your feelings and what you're feeling. There are times where I'm like, man, I'm really not in a good mood today. Like what happened? And then I'll kind of think about it. And it's like, oh, like maybe when this person said this, it really did bother me. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. And then, you know, kind of grow. And that's how you grow. But I feel like we are a little stunted because we don't want to take that time to like sit and figure out like, why am I, why was I so grouchy today? Why did I snap at that person? Or going back and even apologizing. Like, I don't even think most people do that. Sometimes we just had a bad day and right. we just expect people to put up with it. But at the same time, like it doesn't hurt to turn around and be like, oh, you know what? I actually like wasn't in a good mood today. I was sad about A, B, C, or D, yeah. whatever. You know, sorry for snapping at you that one time yeah. or whatnot. I think uh, 
so for you, like, when, if, you, if, you, if you're having a bad day, like, in your personal life, like, you've got mm-hmm. things going on right, in your personal right. life, you, <laughs> have, you are forcibly have to check that before you go into work. And I think right. that's, it's an easy compartmentalizing thing for us to do. Like, you know, if I'm, we're struggling home, yeah. we go to work, we put that away. But in our personal relationships, you know, I mean, yeah. you're a professional at it, but when we're trying to offer that support or understanding or that kind of love to someone... Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's tough for us as individuals, like we're talking to our mom or a sister mm-hmm. or a loved one or, mm-hmm. or a partner, whatever it is, to check yeah. our personal feelings for that day and just be there right. for that person. So how, how do you get there for yourself, for, for, for your job? I mean, is, is that Well, and easier? this is going to sound really weird, but I think there's this like visualization practice. Like I wear a lab coat when I go to the ER. So okay. when I put that lab coat on, mm-hmm. there's like this a symbolism of like, okay, I, that's yeah, all my personal stuff is getting checked, checked yeah. out the door. As I put this lab coat on, I am now this person. I am now a social worker in the emergency room, and this is all that I'm going to focus on, yeah, to be there for everyone that needs me in that moment. It is hard to do, definitely, yeah. when you have personal stuff. And, and especially in my job, like, you get you can get triggered. I mean, somebody's sad. Well, I've been sad before. I know what that feels <laughs> like. Like, oh, you know, and you really feel for that person. Yeah. But you're also, it's my, but it's also my job. Sure. If this person in front of me is crying because they had a really bad day, and I cry with them, it's one thing to cry in empathy, and it's another thing when someone is in the emergency room and they, let's say, you know, a rape case or something like that. It's if I were to cry with them, all that tells them is that it, it's hopeless. I'm sorry. Even okay. the person who's supposed to be helping you yeah. is crying and can't get it together. Okay. Your story is so bad yeah. that as a professional, even I'm crying with you. Like that to me just feels like I'm giving them like hopelessness yeah. pretty much. It doesn't seem okay. where if I am like, you got this, it's gonna be okay. Do I cry later? Absolutely. Yeah. But in front of that person, I like to show like but we can handle this. We got this. You're, you know, well taken care of. You're around people that are, I guess, strong. You can lean on me. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. you know, and then I will go fall somewhere else, <laughs> you know, for a hot minute. But sure. it's, it's not, it's much, I would rather them feel that than, and I'm not saying you can't cry. If it's your loved one, it's a different sure. story. But when you're coming into an emergency room, yeah. like you don't want to get the doctor that's like, well, I don't know. I don't know how to fix that. That looks bad. You know? Like, that looks like it hurts. Yeah, exactly. You kind of want the one that can come in and yeah. be like, that looks painful. We got this. And, you know, yeah. can patch you up. Yeah. So in that sense, that helps me kind of turn it on and off when I need mm-hmm. to. And then I take the lab coat off and then I get to be me again and I you know process what I need to process and usually on the drive home helps just like a 20 minute drive okay. and you know kind of think about things like I said in the ER I'm lucky because I have staff and we debrief with each other pretty frequently um, with the private practice and then that's the thing too I think for a lot of people I have a bracelet I wear it when I'm in the private practice okay. I take it off when I'm off so okay. it gives that it's it's more of like a an action it's not just okay I'm off work now like yeah. I'm really putting all that energy kind of into something okay. that symbolizes I'm on cool. or okay. I'm off. Yeah. So there you and go, I everybody. Think, just get yeah, your, get your own special cape or your special yeah. bracelet when you need to give someone support. Exactly. <laughs> think of Wonder Woman and her bracelets of truth <laughs> <laughs> or whatever they were called. Yeah. Uh, but I think this really, because like as a, as a loved one, right, mm-hmm. we kind of need to thread the balance a little bit. But mm-hmm. I do love what you said, like to just be the, the rock to lean upon. Mm-hmm. Not an unemotional, right. uncaring one, but just a confident one. Right, exactly. And and the other thing too, and I've had this, you know, issue with some of my clients in the private practice is not everybody's going to be what you need them to be. Yeah. So I have one client that's like, oh, every time I talk to my mom, like she's never there for me and she's always really mean when I complain to her. 
Well, then don't complain to her. Don't talk. Don't go to her for the, for what you need. Like we are meant to have a bunch of people, and in relationships specifically, I think in intimate relationships, we forget that this person that you're married to or you're dating isn't meant to be your all your one and only in everything. Yeah. This person might be really really good at giving you support, but when you need help trying to figure out a way out. Maybe it's your friend Joe. Maybe yeah. it's Bob. Maybe it's Lauren. I don't, you know, it, not everybody needs to be everything to you. Some mm-hmm. people are really good at just listening. Yeah. And I hang out with those people when I've had a certain day. And some people are really good at just having a good time and not having to stress about all this other bad stuff. Then, you know, you hang out with them when you're in that mood. But I feel like we, for some reason, we like assume like, oh, this is my significant other. I have to dump on them. I have to be happy with them. They have to give me support while at the same time. It's like that's a lot of pressure for sure. one person to have. And again, yeah. I don't think even as kids, it takes a village. I think even as adults, like we need to have that in other in yeah. other people as well. And just the acceptance too that because I know I do this with, with my wife. I love her so mm-hmm. dearly. I want to be all those things. Right, right. And so I almost get like offended when, when I can't be. It's an ego check for ourselves too to, mm-hmm. to accept that, you know, we can't be everything to that, that one person. Right. right. And they might need, they're yeah. going to need some other perspectives. And, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And I do think that's important. And I think in terms of, like I said, specific to intimate relationships or even friendships or family members, like, yeah, I, you know, don't go to aunt so-and-so when you need advice, but she's great at just listening and mm-hmm. letting you feel, you yeah. know, or whatever. But yeah, assuming that this person has to be everything and if they're not, there's something wrong with them, that's not fair. Right. That's not fair to that person or yourself because you sure. could be getting what you need elsewhere, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, one thing you brought up that we've, yeah. we've talked about a couple times is uh, being a good listener. Mm-hmm. How would you describe what a good listener is or does? Um, that's so funny because I remember that was like a class, yeah. like a whole like lecture that we had. I think, um, I mean, this is going to, in this day and age, it seems so simple, but really not having your phone around. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. not having the phone around you or at least face down. It's one thing if you're on call and you have, sure. you know, an important crazy job. Like I get that. But really making that time without the phone, I think is mm-hmm. the biz- biggest I think visual significance that somebody could see is that, oh, we need to talk, okay, and you, even yeah. if the, your phone is nowhere to be seen, but you yeah. take it out and you put it somewhere else, okay. okay, I'm here for you. I think that means a lot okay. for people, at least in this day and age. 20 like years that, ago, yeah. probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and the other thing is obviously, you know, looking at them, it's obviously, you know, making some eye contact at some point. Um, I think being in close vicinities, at least being mm-hmm. you know next to each other. If it's over the phone that you're you know trying to be a good listener over mm-hmm. the phone, I think it really does help not to have a distracting sound in the background. I think it helps yeah. to you know don't put me on speaker and then put me on Bluetooth and back on speaker and then on your headset. It's like <laughs> just you know if I know you're doing 15 other things at the same time. That doesn't really, mm-hmm. you know, make me feel like you're listening. And you might right. be the best listener and you can do 20 things at right. once. But that's not what the other person, is, you know, that might not be what the other person's okay with, mm-hmm. you know. So kind of that. The other thing, too, I what I do, and again, I'm a therapist. So for me, it just kind of comes naturally. Is like, hey, like, how was your day? Are you, is it, are you in the mood to, like, I kind of need to vent. Is it okay if I vent? Mm-hmm. If they say, no, I had a really bad day, like, I can't, <laughs> be okay with that. Sure. It's like, okay, no problem, you know, call me when you get a chance or call me when you can. And then find somebody else. Text someone sure. else, like, hey, I kind of had a shit day, can you talk? If they say no, let them say no and don't get mm-hmm. mad. Because if they feel obligated, right. <laughs> you know, that doesn't help either. And you're not going to yeah. get what you need from them. Mm-hmm. You're going to get somebody that feels obligated, that doesn't want to hear the story, that probably had their own shit day. <laughs> 
and then you're not going to get you know whatever you, what the you energy feel. back you're not going to get that vibe back it's yeah. it's just it's you're going to feel like well now i just feel like i bothered them now i feel worse about myself <laughs> you know so now i'm a burden too yeah <laughs> yeah so so that's important too because if somebody says like no i had a really bad day and you give them that then the next time you, you, they say like no actually i had yeah today's perfect go ahead mm-hmm. and give me a call you really feel like okay this person's here for me now and mm. listening so giving people that out because they're not going to say no they had a bad day if you're not okay with it sure. so it's always about kind of testing the waters and seeing yeah. but then you know that when that person says yes i could hear you then it's like okay. you know you really don't feel like a burden and you really yeah. you know feel but you got to give your friends a chance it's not fair to i have that a lot with some of my clients like oh i don't want to bother my friend i was like dude your friend would be so pissed right now if they even remotely heard you say that you were about, you know, bothering them, right? right? Your friends want to be there for you. Mm-hmm. Give them that. If you want to mm-hmm. be there for your friends, you can't say, well, I don't want to bother my friends. No, they want to be there for you too. Yeah. But again, it doesn't hurt to just check in like, sure. hey, can and you talk? I really need and that's event. setting like, the expectation, that's setting, exactly. the, setting the mood and the energy for that to, to exactly. happen. Yeah. That's just, awesome. I love that. Yeah. And then again, if this person isn't great at listening, they never will be. <laughs> don't, <laughs> sh- don't put them, don't make them into the person that they cannot be just sure. to make you feel feel good yeah. you know like i said certain people are really good at certain things and you know be okay with that acknowledge yeah. that and like let them be them and get mm-hmm. what you need out of them and vice versa and it sounds bad because i'm not saying like you're getting things out of people but it's no, just, you're like you're, you're you have an, a need there's an energy deficiency yes, and you want to exactly. speak with someone who has the ability and the yeah. energy to give back to you that right. to, to fill you back up Right. That, that has an abundance at that point. So someone who else who is in a, in a, in a deficit, yeah. they don't have that to give. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. And yeah, and it doesn't work. And most that's usually when people argue or fight yeah. or disappointed <laughs> or oh man, so and so is not a good friend. And it's right. like, well, they are. They're doing the best they can, but they are also, you know, yeah. the energy. Like you said, energy levels also yeah. low. So. So we're, we're set up. We're, we're put our phone away. We said we accepted this invitation mm. to listen. Right. We, we listen to the other person vent or talk about yeah. their issue. What's it, what does what kind of a response after hearing so the I, thing I does a good listener give? So I always ask that too. So in the beginning, I ask, like, do you want to just vent, or are you looking for advice? Okay. And I always ask that in the beginning as well because that's also kind of sometimes I'll listen and try to give advice, and you know, and, and this is trial and error. This is mm-hmm. just for me myself that works with yeah. the people I care about that and like. Not necessarily for work, but also for right. my yeah. private life. Mm-hmm. But in the private practice, I do that. In the ER, I know they're here to talk. So that's, why they come, <laughs> that's why they're there. Whether they want to or not, it right. doesn't matter. If the cops bring them, they still have to talk. I still have to work on getting it out of them regardless. But even with the private practice, it's still like, okay, well, are you looking for advice? Like mm-hmm. before, you know, okay, we're set up, everything. Yeah. Do you want to vent? you want me to just listen? Or are you also looking for advice? And sometimes they'll say, I want you to just listen. Okay. And, then you, and then at the end, they'll be like, actually, now I want advice. Well, okay, fine. But... You know, to give unsolicited advice, sure. that never bodes well, right? right. <laughs> and I feel like that happens a lot in intimate relationships because mm-hmm. your significant other wants to fix it, right? right? They, Oh, of course they do. They love you. They care about you. They want to know that they can fix your problem. And I think a lot of times, at least in couples counseling, that is the one thing that certain people don't want. They don't want somebody else to fix it. They just want them to listen. Right. So kind of setting that off, yep. like, are you able to listen? Yes, you are. Okay, I need you to just listen. I'm not looking for mm-hmm. advice or anything. I just want to vent to you. Yeah. And then allowing that. 
And then if you say like, well, I really do want to give you advice once they're said and done, <laughs> then that's, you know, that's on you. Or you could ask, <laughs> could I give you my opinion? Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You could ask that. That's totally a selfish question on my part because like I said, I'm, I'm experiencing that in real time because I, again, intensely love my wife. And, yeah, and yeah. Whenever there's a problem, I want so badly to fix mm-hmm. it and take care of it so she doesn't have that stress or that worry. Right. And I've just really had to, through trial and error, check myself mm-hmm. to not just take what she's saying filter it through my view mm-hmm. and then give her my interpretation of it. That's mm-hmm. not listening. You know, I right. kind of learned that the hard way a couple yeah. times. That, that, is yeah. not, that is not listening. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes once they've kind of vented and dumped everything, at that point there is like, okay, now I can receive things. Like I took, you know, I dropped mm-hmm. my heavy backpack off. Mm-hmm. Like all the books are out. Now I get to put in, you know, what I want to. So at that point, then the advice is probably much received better Sure. at that point because they're able to kind of like, you know, yeah. they, they depleted their energy, all that bad energy they were able to kind of dump on you or talk right. to you about, vent to you about. Right. And now they're able to kind of receive like, okay, now what do you think I should do? Or, oh, hey, can, you know, can I give you, you know, what I think would be helpful would be this. And they're more able to receive it where if you try to give it in the middle of the process, right. it doesn't, it's, it's usually out. like people get angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I know. I was getting, in, in my experience, like just, I have a yeah. great idea with something that she's saying, but I didn't let her finish. Yeah. And I'm trying to, to give this, you know, perspective or advice. Yeah. And, and, and it comes from yeah. a great place oh, it does, and yeah. it means well, yeah. but yeah, it it's not what the person needs. Yeah. And that's that what moment. we're, and that's what we, I think we really need to just again, just in our personal yeah. relationships, just really put ourselves in that person's shoes and make sure they get it all out before yeah. we say a word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. De- again, that depending on like, what you're doing if you're working on the suicide hotline you know it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of the same but you're in you know time crunch but if it's not if it's somebody that a friend family member mm-hmm. loved one then yeah it, if you have the time definitely make the time or don't do it at all i guess is, sure. yeah that's awesome yeah well, thank you so much i think we're just about at an, at an yeah. hour there i know you got so an unbelievable wealth of, of knowledge so yeah. we'll, we'll have to have you come back on uh, at some point but yeah, we really appreciate awesome. you and um you know, I know you do a lot of you do a lot of good, and you are caring, and you put a lot of love out there for everybody. And, and I love you so much, and, and thank you for yeah, for thank doing you this for the time. Part. I think this is really important. That I think um, a lot of people we're just always go go go. So mm-hmm. it's I think it's really nice to just sit and chat. Turn your phone <laughs> yeah. off and chat for now, right? <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, as always, if you got any uh, questions or comments, you can uh, email us at present tense podcast am at gmail or Instagram. Present Tense Podcast. Uh, you can email a question for Laura and I'll, I'll forward it over to you if you want to do that. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Peace and love to everybody and we'll see you next week.